You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. The book of Nehemiah was written uh, anywhere between 425 and 400 B.C., and it covers a similar time period to Ezra. Uh, And, I mean, they were... They were on the scene at the same time. You find uh, Ezra in the book of Nehemiah. Um, The author is Nehemiah. Oh, I'm sorry. The time period for the book of Nehemiah is is about 457 to 432 B.C. The author is Nehemiah. And the audience, again, is this remnant of people that has returned from Babylon. uh, And how they are going to continue along this line of waiting and watching, like we heard about this morning, for Jesus to come. So Chronicles, you could say, was a book of reminding. It was reminding them of their roots, their royalty, and their relationship to God. Then Ezra, you have a book of returning. And first of all, there was a return to Jerusalem. But then Ezra says, okay, you've come out of Babylon, but you're still living like you're in Babylon. So instead of just returning to Jerusalem, let's also return to God's word. And then you have Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book of rebuilding. And this rebuilding happens in two main parts. You have part one, which is chapter one through six. Part two is chapter seven through 13. And chapter one through six is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Chapter 7 through 13 is rebuilding the people of Israel. Rebuilding the people of Israel. Uh, This book is mostly a a biography of the man, uh, Nehemiah, and it's an incredible, uh, it's it's almost as if it was taken from his diary in many times. Uh, But obviously we know it was was completely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, this book concludes really the historical compilation of the books of Chronicles Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, in fact, if you look in, in a lot of Jewish Bibles or Ju- Jewish tradition, they see those books kind of all in one. Uh, and almost like movement one, movement two, and movement three, all of the same story. Chronicles reminding, Ezra returning, and Nehemiah rebuilding. So in Chronicles, oh, oh and then what, what book do we have next? What book do we have next? Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Esther is kind of a meanwhile in Persia story. Uh, truly incredible, and I cannot wait to get to that one as well. Uh, so in Chronicles, we saw the importance of the worship of God. You need to get back, the, that, that temple is the way that you have your relationship with him. That is how God's presence can be among you, and in order to be in that presence, you must be holy. And then that's what Ezra comes back and reminds them about. Let's return to God's word. So in Ezra, we see the priority of the word of God. In Nehemiah, I'm going to put it this way. I don't know if it's the best way to put it, but I think you're going to see what I mean. We're going to see the reality of the work of God. So Chronicles, the importance of the worship of God. Ezra, the priority of the word of God. And Nehemiah, the reality of the work of God. The, the, what does it mean to work for the Lord? And trust me, church, it's work. If living for the Lord is not work, we're doing it wrong. It's work, it's sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. And you know the thing about a living sacrifice? You can get off whenever you want. 
It is a daily decision to get up on that altar and see. It is a daily decision to step up on that wheel and let the potter work on you. And when he, find, when he finds rocks and the vessel of clay is marred, we don't jump off because he's not going to give up on you. He'll make it again as it seems good to him to make it if we stay put and we just do what we know is right. So that is what Nehemiah is all about because Nehemiah was a worker. And the book of Nehemiah finds its main theme in that work. I mean, throughout the first six chapters, do me a favor. Just look at uh, chapter 3. Look at chapter 3. And I just want you to start in verse 1. And I want you to kind of speed read through here. Just kind of go through at your own pace. And count how many times you see the word builded or build or repaired or work. Uh, Repaired, 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 built, repaired, repaired earnestly repaired in verse 20. Uh, All throughout these chapters of verse 1 all the way through, uh, I'm sorry, of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6, you're going to see these words like work and repair and build, builded, building, labor, repeated constantly. Because that is what's being brought forward. Now from chapters 7 through 13, you won't see those words as often, but you're still going to see this process of rebuilding This idea of rebuilding continuing all the way through this book. Now, before we begin, let's remind ourselves of the background of this story and what's going on here. Uh, So the returning Jews have been back in Jerusalem now for over 90 years. They have been back in Jerusalem now longer than they were in exile to begin with. Um, The generation who came from Babylon the first time, the ones under Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they have all passed away. They're off the scene now. Ezra is still on the scene with this new generation. And this new generation has already had to be corrected by Ezra because they start going back right into their old ways. Church, if we're not seeing, that is just fleshly nature. That is fleshly nature. To allow the world in where it doesn't belong. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's why we need a temple. That's why, and and your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So what are we supposed to do with that? We are supposed to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We have been bought with a price. And that's why we need that temple. We need to understand what the Bible says, and we need to have that at our very core. But then we're going to need some walls. Because when the world and when the devil sees that you have a temple and that you have a heart that is dedicated to him, that's where God sits in my life. The world's coming. The devil's coming to tear it down. And we're going to need some walls. How did I get off on that? Oh, so, so because the new generation has been back and... Uh, They were just one generation away. I mean, this first generation comes and builds the temple, and yeah, it takes them 20 years to do it, and you're thinking, come on, that's why you went back. That's why you went back to the promised land in the first place. Why would you leave luxurious Babylon to go back to a shambles of Jerusalem and then not complete the only reason you went back? Why would you do that? It's fleshly nature. It's fleshly nature. When Haggai comes on the scene, they weren't building the temple. They were building their own homes. They had their priorities wrong. So Ezra comes then on the scene, 
And he says, let's get back to God's word. Now, Nehemiah is going to show up, and he comes 12 years after, around 12 years after Ezra has come on the scene. Ezra is there in Jerusalem, and Nehemiah comes on the scene. And we see in verse 1 that we actually find him in Shushan, the palace in Persia, to begin with. Um, And he, we're going to find some interesting things about him. He has a brother named Hanani. And uh, Hanani, it, it appears, maybe went and visited uh, Jerusalem, uh, along with certain men of Ju- Judah, and they came back, and Nehemiah said, what is the word? What's going on with the condition of Jerusalem? And first of all, Hanani tells them the condition of the people. And they say, first of all, it's only a remnant. Only about 50,000 people went back to begin with, and uh, they really haven't grown since then. Uh, and those remnant of people are constantly under great affliction and great reproach. They're under constant attack and constant ridicule because of where they live and what's going on. And then he tells them the condition of the city. It's in ruins. The walls are still broken down, and the gates are still burned. It's been a hundred and a little over, almost 150 years now. And those walls are still in disrepair, and those gates are still, still ashes. Uh, and Nehemiah, I mean, he... No wonder he's thinking and what he writes down. No, no wonder the people are in great affliction and reproach. Without walls and gates, there's no way that only a remnant of people, let's just think about this practically, there's no way that only a remnant of people would be able to defend themselves against their adversaries. They need walls and they need gates. And it's the same that goes for us. You know what standards and convictions are in our life? They're walls and gates that protect our hearts from the world and the devil that wants to come in and destroy what we have. And we are constantly going to be under attack. We're constantly going to have an enemy. The devil is always walking to and fro throughout the earth and walking up and down in it. And why do you think he's doing that? Because he is seeking whom he may devour. And we need walls and we need gates. And Nehemiah thinks that. Of course they're going to be under affliction. Of course they're going to be under great reproach. They have no defense. They have no defense. And in chapter 1, verse 4 through 10, Nehemiah hears about it. He mourns, he fasts, and he prays. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. This is one of the first of nine prayers that you will see from Nehemiah throughout the entire book. And in his prayer, he starts with confession. He confesses in verse 4 through 7. He confesses of the rebellion of his people. He confesses of disobedience. And he includes himself in that number. Now, perhaps that is him saying, Lord, I am a Jew. I am an Israelite. I am a part of this rebellious family as much as anybody else is. But you also have to think, Nehemiah could have gone back with Ezra. He didn't. Now, maybe there's a reason for that. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to be dogmatic where the Bible is silent. The Bible doesn't tell us the reason. But Nehemiah was alive when Ezra took his group back. He could have gone back. He stayed. Maybe that is why he confesses along with. But then he claims God's promises. He claims God prom- God's promises for justice. You know, there's a lot of people... And they say, I'm going to claim God's promises for blessings on obedience. Yes, that is a promise. But it is also a promise of God that he will judge disobedience. And he will punish disobedience. And if we're going to claim one promise, we have to claim the other. And Nehemiah comes out and he says, I claim your promise of justice. 
that you have punished us because of what we've done. And then also, I claim your mercy and your forgiveness. You said, you, you told us that we were going to be put into exile if we did this. You kept your word. But Lord, you also said if we would turn to you, and if we would humble ourselves, and if we would confess our sins, that you would bring us back. And he claimed that promise, and then he asked a specific request. He said, Lord, would you give me mercy in the sight of the king? And in just a very nonchalant manner, the last sentence of the chapter, for I was the king's cupbearer. So he has access to the king. Now, to be a cupbearer, in a way it was unpleasant. You were tasting the food and the drink that was on its way to the king to make, make sure it wasn't poisoned. So in that way, it was kind of unpleasant. Uh, this steak looks really good. What happened? Um, but it was, it was an honorable job, and it was an easy job. And it puts you in direct contact with the king. Uh, in a way, it made you a confidant of the king. Um, could this be why he didn't go back with Ezra? I don't know. Was he thinking, why would I leave my stable position here to go back to Jerusalem and live in instability? Why would I do that? I'm not sure. But now, after hearing it's been over 90 years and his brothers are under great affliction and reproach in Jerusalem, the gates and walls are still destroyed, he makes a decision. Lord, somebody needs to do something. And I am asking for you to help me to be that somebody. That is a good attitude to have, church. There are constantly going to be needs everywhere. And instead of just saying, and instead of just taking the step of opening our eyes and saying, there's a need there, take another step and say, Lord, let me fill that need. Can I fill that need in my body? Can I fill that need in my prayer? Can I fill that need in my treasure? Can I fill that need in my time? What can I do? But a lot of people take the first step, hmm, there's a need there. And then Nehemiah takes another one, I'm going to fill that need. Lord, please give me, give me mercy in the sight of this king for four months for four months, he prays that. He carries that burden on his heart. And that opportunity comes in chapter 2. That opportunity comes. Now, it comes in a very scary way. Because Nehemiah goes to, uh, there's wine before the king, and there's food before the king, and he goes to take it before the king, and he says, I was not aforetime sad uh, in the presence of the king. And there's a reason for that. The king could kill you for frowning in his presence. So when the king, Artaxerxes, calls him out for it, look at what he says in verse 2. Wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And Nehemiah tells him what's on his heart. He says, how, how can I not be sad when my city is in ruins, when the gates are burned, and my people, my brethren, are under great affliction. And the king looks back at him and says, are you asking for something? Are you going to make a request known to me? And look at what Nehemiah does in verse 4. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king. That's a quick prayer. But quick prayers reach the throne just as much as a very wordy prayer does. We need to learn how to pray. Uh, so Nehemiah not only obtains permission to go back to Jerusalem. He also obtains a royal escort, and he obtains permission 
to use the lumber from the king's garden, from the king's forest, rather, to build the homes and the gates of the city. And so he uh, kind of hops on his way, and he, uh, not hops, but you know what I mean, he, he goes on his way back to Jerusalem, he makes it there, and when he arrives in Jerusalem, he presents his credentials, if you will, to the local leaders, the local Persian leaders, and the ones that the, the Persian Empire has put there. And the Bible names two of them. One of them is named Tobiah, and one of them is named Sanballat. And these men are not happy that Nehemiah is there. And the Bible says they are not happy that somebody is there to, quote, seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Why? Perhaps because they were some of the people who were afflicting and reproaching these people and using their leadership and their power in order to come down on them and maybe exact usury and, and different things. Uh, but Nehemiah goes, and they don't like that he's there, but they can't do anything about it. They can't go against the decree of the king. And that night, uh, at night, Nehemiah starts surveying the damage, and he kind of gets, gets on a horse, I think, and, and he goes around. He calls it a beast. He gets on a beast, and he starts riding around and surveying the damage, and it's so bad in some places that he can't even get through. He can't even get through. He has to turn around. Uh, but he hasn't told anybody yet what he is there for. But finally he does. He, he tells the Jewish people and he rallies them to begin rebuilding the walls and gates. In verse 17, then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more of reproach. Uh, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Can I say this again? Building walls of protection in your life, sir, for your family, for your heart, for this church, for whatever you may, that's a good work. It's a good work. It is worth your time. It is worth your effort. It is worth your blood, sweat, and tears. They strengthen their hands for this good work. And immediately, Sanballat and Tobiah begin to mock them and laugh at them. Is this truly, this is your plan? You think this is going to go very well? But they go straight on for it. And in chapter 3, and again, I challenge you to, to mark all of the action verbs during this chapter. Uh, it's a chapter of faith that leads to action, that leads to success in their efforts. God's will done God's way is going to bring God's blessing every single time. It's a chapter of organization, and you can see it starts at the sheep gate, and Nehemiah puts a bunch of workers there. You're going to start here at the sheep gate, which is near the temple where the sacrifices would come in. They were very, they were very original and very creative with their gate names. This is where the sheep come through. Sheep gate, okay, very good. Moving on to the merchant quarter where a lot of people were selling things like fish. Let's call that one the fish gate. Yes, very good. Then there was the place where ancient Jebus was, the old part. Let's call that one the old gate. Then there's one by the valley gate, okay, or by the valley, let's call it the valley gate. So that's self-explanatory. The dung gate. Self-explanatory. Gate of the fountain, that's by the king's garden. Then there's the water gate. Uh, President Nixon wasn't there. It's where water was coming in. There's the horse gate. There's the east gate. There's gate Mif uh, Mifkod. 
and all the way back to the sheep gate again. And as you read through this chapter, you see you have all these people that are repairing this gate. And then there's a wall in between that. And then it leads to the next gate. Who's building that gate? Who's doing the bars and the locks and, and the woodworking? And then there's going to be another section of wall. Well, who's building there? And you can follow along all the way until you get right back where you started at the Sheep Gate. So you see Nehemiah's delegation, and you see his initiative. You see people's initiative to, do, to uh, put their hands to the work. They're all in unity for the most part. Um, you know, it's a very inspiring chapter. You have some nobles in verse 5 that were too good to work. Look at verse 5. Um, let's see here. But their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. They were union workers. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man, I'm in trouble. Okay, so, um, hey, there are always people that are willing to benefit from the labor of others but not put their backs behind it. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Uh, put your backs to it as well. It's a worthy work. Uh, so you have nobles in verse 5 that have their noses up so high, if it started raining, they would drown. No, I'm not, no, not going to work. But then in verse 12, you have a man working with his daughters. You have some daughters showing up the nobles. We'll get in there and work. Let's go for it. Uh, in verse 4, you have a man named Merimoth. And Merimoth apparently finished his portion a little bit early. Usually at that time, what do you do? You finish up early, you kick back, watch everybody else. I'm going to go and get some Kool-Aid. No, he comes back in verse 21 and he helps somebody else. He goes and he, and he does some work there. Do you see like these spiritual applications everywhere? Then when you get to a chapter like this and you're just, Okay, 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 okay. No, no, no. Take your time and study through it. Um, the priests are working alongside the people. And think, look at how, how ingenious Nehemiah was. Nehemiah has many of the people building the portion of the wall that was closest to their home. Why would that be important? Well, you're going to make sure the wall by your home is really strong. So Nehemiah was very smart in doing that. And hey, it's okay to have a balance of faith and practicality. It really is. It's, a, it's okay to pray and then put some feet to your prayers. Uh, you know, I'm, and it's, I, I won't go there. That's a juicy rabbit, but we're going to keep on moving forward. Okay. So they keep on working. They are making sure it's strong. They're unified, but it came to pass. That's how chapter four begins. It came to pass that when Sanballat, oh, this guy again, Heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Where's Tobiah? Oh, here he is. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Yikes. And so they start, and look, this is just, this mockery from Sanballat and Tobiah is just the first of this opposition that they are going to face. In fact, you read from chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, even into chapter 7, it's just constant opposition. The adversaries are not happy that a temple has been built, that a decision has been made to serve the Lord, and now walls are going up to protect 
the work of God in their life. Adversaries are not happy about that. They never will be. So it starts off with mockery. In chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, what does Nehemiah do? He prays. Verse 4, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them, a prey, uh, give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity. And let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. And in verse 6, even through all this mockery, by verse 6 of chapter 4, they already have half of it done. They're working very hard. Why? Because the people had a mind to work. It's a good thing. So they up their game. Mockery isn't working. Threats of violence. If you don't stop what we're doing, we're bringing soldiers, and we're going to kill you, and we're going to tear down what you've done. And they start threatening all these things in verse 7 and 8. So what do they do? Well, they have faith and they pray, but then they also have some practicality. They set a watch. Okay, we're going to put some guards up and make sure that we see when these enemies are circling around so that nobody is going to take our people and undo the work that we have put so much, so much time and effort into. Nobody's going to touch this wall. Nobody's tearing down what we're doing. But when that happens, there's going to be some discouragement. There's going to be some fear. And that's the next thing that Nehemiah has to deal with. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 10 through 12, the people are discouraged. Uh, Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. We're losing our strength. There is much rubbish. There's stuff everywhere. We're not able to build the wall. So they, they, lose, their cur they lose their strength. They uh, lose kind of their initiative in all of this. Look at all of this. They lose their vision, really. How are we going to undo all of this? And they really, they, they just lose their initiative to go forward. And they hear their adversaries in verse 11 all the time. They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst of, uh, among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. So what do they do? Nehemiah puts more guards. We'll make you feel safe. Let's put some more guards. He gives his workers an open carry license. And he says, you're going to carry a hammer in one hand and you're going to carry a sword in the other. And there's constant guards all the way around. They start making battle plans. They say, look, we're spread all around the city. And Nehemiah always had a man next to him with a trumpet. Ian, you were there next to Nehemiah. And they had certain signals. And he says, wherever you are, if you hear a trumpet blasting, that means that that is where the attack is, and you run to the trumpet. You run to the trumpet, that's where the need is, and that's where we're going to fight. They had all these battle plans set. Men slept in Jerusalem to guard the work. Nehemiah basically says, we, we never changed our clothes unless it was time to take a bath. We just stayed in Jerusalem the entire time. Because you have to think, 50,000 people came back, but they didn't all stay in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been burned and, and, and torn down. They're not staying in the city. Um, why stay in the city with no walls and gates? And that's why it's such a big problem. They're trying to go up to the temple and worship, and they're, just anybody can walk in and, and afflict them and reproach them. So that's what they're trying to fix here. Okay? Uh, so they've dealt with mockery. They've dealt with the opposition of threats. They've dealt with uh, the opposition of discouragement and fear. And now they're going to deal in chapter 5 with dissension and oppression. So they're dealing with attacks from without, from Sanballat and Tobiah. And now Nehemiah wakes up one day and figures out, well, now there's dissension and disunity uh, from within. There's oppression going on within. And you read chapter 5, and 
these well-to-do Jewish, well-to-do, well-to-do Jewish people are getting to a point where they are selling corn to poorer Jewish people, and now because there's a dearth in the land, these poor people don't have any more money, so the, so the rich people are saying, oh, we'll give you money with interest, and then when, they're, when they aren't able to pay this interest back, okay, you can be my slave. And Nehemiah goes, what? No, 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 no. And so he deals with that. But hey, there's going to be a tax from without when you try to build walls around what you believe and around what the Bible says. And you say, I am putting these standards and convictions up so that nobody touches what I put in my heart. There's going to be a tax from without. There's going to be a tax from within. You're going to have some discouragement. You're going to have some fear. Put up some guards. You're not alone. Come to church. You know what this is? This is an armory. And you come in and you say, I, I need some weapons to go back out. And you have an open carry license, by the way. Use it. Use it. When you go to work and you have your hammer swinging, have your sword ready as well. You might need it. There's going to be some attacks, but there's also attacks from within. Most churches find their destruction from within. That's why the Bible says, I hate he that soweth discord among the brethren. And that's why, church, all of us, all of us in this church have a responsibility to guard not only attacks from without, but attacks from within. And we can do that lovingly. And the Bible says, before you go in and say, you have a toothpick in your eye, right? You got a little, little schmutz right there. And you have a telephone pole sticking out of yours. Okay, well, we're going to have to deal with this first before we deal with the toothpick in yours, okay? Uh, but that is what we protect each other. We watch over each other. And another spiritual application, when, a, when I as a pastor say, here's where the attack's coming, here's the trumpet, we need people to rally to that need and run there and protect what the Bible has given us, what God has given us in his word. But not only from without, but from within. So then, these attacks from without aren't working. They can't get them afraid. They can't mock them. They're just, you know, water off a duck's back, whatever. So now they're going to resort to trickery. See if we can trick them. Doesn't the devil do that? Maybe he'll launch an all-out attack on your life and you see it coming. You say, nope. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. I think if, if Satan would have come up to Eve, grabbed the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and come to shove it down her throat, I think she would have no. But what did he do? Question. What did God say? What did God say again? That you couldn't eat of all the trees? What was it? And he gets to trick her. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11.3, he beguiled her with his subtlety. I don't think he could have destroyed her with an all-out attack, so he beguiled her with his subtlety. So they tried trickery in chapter 6, in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies 
heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. So the wall is done. Just have to get the gates up now. That Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in, uh, in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Let's meet together. And look at what Nehemiah puts in, in verse 1. The rest of our enemies, what does an enemy want to do to meet with me? To negotiate terms of peace? No, absolutely not. They thought to do me mischief. So look in verse 3. And I sent messengers unto them and said, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort. No, we just want to talk. We just want to meet. We just want to chit-chat just a little bit. No, nope, nope, not going to work. I can just see Sanballat and Tobiah. So then they start slandering him and blackmailing him. And they come up to Nehemiah and say, we know what you're doing. You want to be king. That's what's going on. And they start waving this letter in his face. We wrote a letter to Artaxerxes, and we told him that you want to be king and that you've hired prophets in the city, and you're making all these prophets preach that there's a king in Jerusalem now, and we're going to tell him we're going to send him this letter unless you meet with us. And I, I love what Nehemiah says. He looks back at them and says, you're fake news. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously, look, look in verse 8. Then I sent to them saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. Your fake news. Mm. Okay, so slander and blackmail doesn't work. So what's next? Scare tactics. And they hire somebody to go up to Nehemiah. Oh, Nehemiah, they're, they're plotting against you, and they're going to come, and they're going to assassinate you because of the great work that you're doing, and you need to hide in the temple. You need to find your own place in the temple and just hide there. Nehemiah says, basically, you don't know me very well, do you? Should such a man as I flee? That's, that's the question. Should such a man as I flee? Oh, we need more Nehemiahs. We need more Nehemiahs that understand the importance of having that temple, the importance of having that worship, the importance of, of basing our life off of God's word. And when people come and say, get rid of God's word, get rid of the worship, you don't need the walls, you don't need the gates, we're just here to be friends. You look back and say, nope, he's not going to work with me. We need more Nehemiahs like that. All of their mockery and their threats of violence, even the inner turmoil and the possible problems that all that could have brought. Look in verse 15 and 16. So the wall was finished. In the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elul, get this, in 52 days. They built that wall and the gates in 52 days. That's incredible. Verse 16, it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Do you remember in Acts when this new church is coming up and they're preaching about Jesus the king and how he is still alive and what Gamaliel says? says, you know, look, if this council be of man, you don't have to attack it. 
it's going to fall apart on its own. He said, but it be, if it be of God, you better be careful because you're not going to be able to destroy it and then you have been attacking God. And these people, Sanballat and Tobiah and all these others, they realize how in the world, after all we did against them, how did they build that in 52 days? Must be somebody else. I hope, I hope a great work can be done here in Corpus Christi through Heritage Baptist Church that people will be able to look and say, those are some good people, but it must have been God. And let him get all the glory for it. Now, here's the thing. I have a question. Just because the wall and the gate is built, do you think the enemy is done? And here's where I'm going to stop. And here's where I'm going to preach. And here's where I'm going to find sin and I'm going to blow it up. Look in verse chapter 7. Verse 1, now it came to pass when the wall was built and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed. Hang on, let's go back, let's go back to verse 17 of chapter 6. I'm sorry. So the work has been done, right? But look in verse 17. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. So Nehemiah has men in the city, his own men of Judah, conspiring with Tobiah. And they're basically telling Nehemiah what Tobiah is saying, and they're telling Tobiah what Nehemiah is saying. He can't even trust his own people not to, to consult with the enemy. Verse 18, for there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era. And his son, Johanan, had taken the daughter of Mishalom, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him. Oh, he, Nehemiah, he really is a good person. And then Nehemiah probably says, no. Have you not seen how he has been our adversary this whole time? Tobiah, you won't believe what Nehemiah said about you. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. Chapter 7, verse 1, now it came to pass when the wall was built and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed. What do we do now? That I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them. And appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch, and everyone to be over against his house. The trouble is continuing even after the gates and the walls have been put up. So, Nehemiah says, we need to make these guards permanent. Because let's ask ourselves, church, what good are walls and gates if we don't guard them? What good is a gate with a lock on it if there's nobody there to see the enemy coming and shut it and bar it and saying, you are not coming in here to undo all that we've done? 
And they may come with, with terms of peace. They may come with letters of, of blackmail and all that. Come with whatever you want. You're not coming in here because you're our enemy. You, you have no place here. We know what you want to do. And you will use any scheme that you can to try to get in. But as soon as you get in, we know what you want to do. You're not getting in here. And Nehemiah is trying to teach his people, it's great that we have a wall. It's great that we have gates. But we need to guard them. We need to guard them. And the same goes for our convictions. The same goes for our standards. The safeguards the, the ancient landmarks that we find in God's word that we put up around our families and our marriages and our minds and our eyes and our ears, we build up those walls to keep the enemy out. I say let's build the wall, make strong the gates, because the devil wants nothing more than to, than to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. He hates you, ma'am. He hates you, sir. He hates you, young person. He hates your family. He hates your marriage. He hates the love that you have for the Lord. He hates it when you read your Bible. He hates it. And maybe he tries threats of violence, and maybe he tries mockery, and maybe he tries all these different things. But what is he trying to do? Get in the walls. Don't let him do that. I say let's build it up. For years now at this church, preachers have stood in this pulpit to help build the wall of protection about us. This is what the Bible says about separation. There are walls in the Bible about separation. Come out from among them and be separate. What fellowship hath light with darkness? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Now, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And it is very possible to be friendly to sinners. But it is also very possible to be friends with the world. Being friendly to sinners is us influencing them. Being friends of the world is letting them influence us. Jesus was, a friend, was friendly to sinners. He ate with publicans and sinners. He spoke with the woman at the well. Amnon had a friend, Jonadab, and he let that worldly friend influence him. There is very much a difference. The Bible gives walls about separation. The Bible gives walls about dress. And I am not just talking to ladies. I'm talking to men as well. I have never seen a generation so willing to show their body off to everybody. You can't go to the mall. Gentlemen cannot go to the mall today without seeing more flesh than men used to have to pay for and sneak around to find in the cities of, of New York and, and whatever. And now it's just everywhere. Modesty is more than just coverage. It's separation and it's identity. And listen to me. Your body, your body should be sacred to God and your body should be secret to your spouse. Why would we go flaunting it to everybody? I don't understand that. 
And just practically, I don't understand why we're paying more and more for clothes, and the people who are making them are using less and less fabric. There are walls of separation. There are walls. This is what the Bible says about giving. This is what the Bible says about wicked entertainment. This is what the Bible says about filthy speech and gossip and pride. Pride made the devil the devil, and it will make a devil out of you. Keep pride away. This is what the Bible says about worldly music. This is what the Bible says about being a witness. This is what the Bible says about holiness. Build that wall, and perhaps we do. Perhaps we do. Perhaps we read the Bible and we say, oh, I like that. Yes, I want that wall and I want that gate there. Perhaps we decided at one point to build those biblical walls and the gates. We're not done. Our work is not done now that the walls and the gates are up. Guard them. Guard those gates. Otherwise, sin is going to get in and it will destroy you. Sin starts with deceiving to get in. It will deceive you to get in. As soon as it, it's in, immediately the damage is going to happen. And, and the end objective is to destroy you. Not to leave you breathing, not to leave you gasping for air at the last. It will destroy you. It will destroy me. When you put those walls and gates up and you see what the Bible says, you put that up. Rewind. What goes up before the wall? The temple. That's what we're trying to protect. What we're trying to protect is our heart. I know a lot of people who have the walls and the gates right, but their temple is wrong. I've heard preachers preach about standards and separation, and they're in state penitentiary today. Some of the greatest messages I'd ever heard on, on standards and separation. But their temple was wrong. So what does Chronicles say? You're going to go back and you have one job. Not build the wall. Not build the throne. Not build the gates. Build the temple. Get the relationship right with God. And once you get that relationship there, make sure it's based off of God's word and understand as soon as you have God's word settled in your heart, it is hidden in your heart. The devil will not be happy until he gets it out. And he's going to deceive so he can damage, so he can destroy every single time. That is what he is trying to do. So that is why these walls and gates are there. Listen, what good does it do, sir, to believe in the biblical walls and gates of truth if we are not going to go home as the husband and the father and the spiritual leader and guard those gates with our life? What good do they do? I'm just being honest. Ma'am, what good does it do for me to stand up or anybody to stand up or for the, for the Bible to stand up and say, these are biblical walls if we do not choose to guard them for our children? I can name friend after friend after friend today that is nowhere near the house of God. They are saved, but they are nowhere near it. And they have told me with their own mouths I cannot tell you how many times dad would get up in the morning and he would go off to work and mom would say, dad's gone. And they knew what that meant. You can watch that show now. You can listen to that now. You can do whatever you want now. Dad's home, turn it off. And he said, I resented my parents for that. Because we would go to church 
and sit under preaching and they would say, build these walls and guard these walls and, and guard your heart. And the parents would sit there and amen and then go home and fail to guard them. This is a good church. I don't know if we're failing in this area. But I do know all of us can take heed lest we fall. We must guard these gates. If I stand up here and preach, don't let the world into your home. Guard your home against the devil. But then we go home and let our family watch filth. If we stand up here and we preach, build the wall of separation. But then we go home and we live however we want. Or we stand up here and preach, train up a child in the way he should go, but we let our children act however they want with no consequences. And I'm not talking about a timeout. I'm talking about a whooping. The child should be calling for the timeout. Now it is not to bring pain to the child, even though it hurts. It's to bring submission. If you spank your child just to cause pain to that child, you're doing it wrong. If you're spanking your child and the child is just screaming and kicking and raising cane the entire time, we're doing it wrong. It's a breaking of the will. It's a, it's a submission to where they understand what they have done wrong. And they take their punishment. And no biblical Christian father or mother ever likes biblical punishment. And that's where many of us fail, because we don't like it. We don't want to do it. And it's easy to talk yourself out of it. But we're their parent. We're not their friend. We must be their parent. We can stand up here and preach, build up the wall of protection. But we have computers and phones with no blockers. No accountability. This right here is ruining more lives. As a pastor, I am dealing with this. And as I talk to other pastors, we're dealing with this. And computers and social media more than anything else. I am going to meet with all the parents, anybody, and I am going to show how this can be a tool and not a distraction. There, are, there is going to be a day when your children need them, when, you're, when your teenager maybe needs them if he goes off to, to work or to college. I will show you how to, how to guard this, how to protect it, how to, how to look into it. We're going to have that meeting. I want you all to be there. Biblical gates are only as good as the guards that are there watching it. Without guards, the enemy just walks right in. And please hear me, church. We will build something one day. We have a choice. We will build something. We will either build walls and gates or we'll build a hospital. It's better to build a wall and a gate 
than a hospital. Every once in a while, there will be a rebellious, a rebellious child that will kick the gate down and walk out. And the Bible is very clear. Whoso breaketh in the hedge, a serpent shall bite him. That's their choice. But woe be unto us if the enemy could just walk in. Or if our children could just walk out. The enemy's coming. Right now. If the, if the Lord could open our eyes for just a moment to see the spiritual warfare around us, no one would want to leave their home. But when God sees a person who is ready, Lord, I'm ready to hide your word in my heart, to glorify you with my body and my spirit, which are yours, the temple of God, and I'm ready to put up these biblical walls of, and, and gates, and I'm going to guard them with my life. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Have you slipped? Have you made a mistake? Have the gates been, been put down in disrepair? Has the enemy come in and damaged you? You're here. You're not destroyed. Has, have they damaged you? Get it right. Get it right. Kick them out. That's the thing about Sanballat and Tobiah. They'll make as much noise as they can. But when you stand with a letter from the king, they have to run. So you kick them out. Get out of here. I'm putting the walls back up. I'm putting the gates back up. Might take some time. We can't expect to have everything turn overnight for things that have taken 20 years. But we can start tonight. I'm building the walls back up. I'm building them back up, and I'm guarding those gates. Parents, we need to go home. Kids, open up the movie drawer. No, 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 no. Kids, open it. What are you playing on your video games? What are you playing? Nope, not doing that anymore. Not doing that. What about our radio? What, do people use radio anymore? What about... What about those eight-track tapes? You know what I'm saying. Guard those gates. Guard your heart. If you've slipped, come back. If, you, if you've made a mistake, if you sinned, come back. You know what the Bible says? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What else does he say? Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Think about this for a second. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. It's that simple. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there's sin in our life right now, it's either because we're saying, I have no sin or I have not sinned. Confess it. Confess it and forsake it. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. Jesus, the Bible said about Jesus, the bruised reed he shall not break. The smoking flax he shall not quench. Has sin ever brought you so low you felt like you had no strength? You could snap like a toothpick. You should be like the cedar of Lebanon, but you're like a toothpick. And the Bible says Jesus will take that and say, I won't break it. We'll mend it. We'll get it back. You should be a fire. There should be a fire in you right now to share the gospel, but right now you're just a smoking flax. You're about to be put out. 
Jesus will fan that back into a flame. But you have to come back to him. And when you come back, you can't come back and say, Lord, I want you to fix me, but I'm not going to focus on the temple and I'm not going to rebuild the walls and I'm not going to guard them again. No, we have to come back and say, I'm getting this right. I'm getting this right. Trust me, church. It's worth it. It's worth it. Don't let sin come into your heart. Don't let sin come into your family. Don't let sin come in. It will deceive you and damage you and destroy you. And if that happens, I'm here. I'm here for you. It could happen to any one of us. But let's guard. Let's guard what the Lord has given us such an amazing opportunity to build. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.